This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, Episode 8, Hide and Seek. Look, we may disagree on the route of the damn motorway, but that doesn't mean... Call it what it is. It's not a motorway. It's social engineering. First the Mexicans, then who? You're not building roads. You're building prisons for all those you don't like. Until all that's left are rich white men who look and think exactly like you. No, sir. You can spout the New Deal line as much as you like. But you better know. I got some very dangerous friends. You don't want to monkey with these fellas, believe you me, because they... Isn't that queer? You're familiar with that term, Charlton? Thought you might be. Watch your back, Councilman. We old liberals still got a few teeth in our head. Welcome back, fellow Petty Faithful. This is TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, Episode 8, Hide and Seek. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. I'm one of your hosts, Chris. Yes, welcome back, fellow Dreaders and Penny Faithful. Um, It's great that you're not going anywhere. And don't be afraid, just because it's now the hour when we go to the Black Chapel, a place of fear and terror with the hooded figure which is probably Frank on Trick or Treat Night. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, John. Excellent. Yes, I like that. That was a really cool little radio show they were listening to. It was to. very cool. Yeah. I would, I could listen to that all day. I mean, you can tell why the kids were really addicted to it. They were sitting in the room all set up for the evening looking to listen to some stories from the Black Chapel. It was very cool. I want to listen to more. <laughs> Maybe we'll get more in the future. Maybe they'll do a spin-off series of the uh, radio shows from the Black Chapel. I think the Black Chapel is actually uh, Peter Craft's house. It might be. It might be. This was a scary little episode, wasn't it? It was a good little uh, creepy uh, Frank episode, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, this kid is really good. Um, he really does put the old wobbles in the in the kneecaps, mm-hmm. uh, for, for me anyway. Um, yeah. Did you have to change your pants during this one, Chris? Uh, let's change my pants and uh, more just change every piece of because when i wasn't um sweating through my clothes it was doing other things through my clothes <laughs> okay were you still in the magda outfit so it was kind of was, it, it all kind of got contained quite nicely all the way excellent yeah great stuff <laughs> good stuff welcome back fellow dreadfuls um before we go into this week's episode i want to just uh, plug one thing that i did this week um which was awesome i got to uh, to be on another podcast i got to guest host on strange indeed yeah, uh, yeah with my awesome friend rima joe very uh, good talking about my favorite ever episode of Black Mirror, which was called Be Right Back. Do you remember this one? It had, uh, it's also uh, the most depressing episode of Black Mirror, or it's, it's certainly up there for sure. It can be. We, we got really in-depth into it, as, as we usually do in podcasts, but it's the episode that had uh, Heli Atwell and Donald uh, Gleeson uh, in the episode, um, where it's it is quite depressing. He loses his life and she brings it back as an android, basically. So uh, it's an interesting episode. 
all episodes of Black Mirror are really enjoyable. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, but this is one that actually we had a good old discussion on. That episode will be out on Strange Indeed uh, on Thursday the 17th of June. If I've got my days right. No, that's the 18th of June. Uh, Thursday the 18th of June. So uh, go check that out. It was a great chat. I'll, I'll plug it and I'll uh, send it out on Twitter and I'll send it out on the Facebook group. But uh, really great to be on that. That's one of my favorite TV podcasts out there. So uh, really honored to be invited. On yeah, good podcast. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're glad we get to share you with uh, a new world. Hopefully you plugged us so they come back to us. Um, but yeah, yeah no, I'm glad to have the new listeners welcome uh, if you're joining us for the first time. And if you're uh, not, well, you know the rig and roll with me. <laughs> I, I, just, <laughs> I just rant and ramble. Yeah. That's our Chris. That's our Chris. Uh, one final thing to plug. Once again, we're coming up to our 500th episode at the beginning of July. We'd love to hear from any of our listeners that want to share any thoughts with us about any of the uh, shows that they've been listening to. Uh, if you're a Penny Dreadful fan, you want to just give us an overall overview of what you thought of our coverage of Penny Dreadful, uh, email us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can leave a voicemail for us over on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com or record your voice and email it to the email address so uh, you can use both. Yes, but I will actually do one, one final, final, final plug. Uh, uh-huh. We don't usually hit everyone up for stuff, but we'd love if you have a bit of spare time, pull over to the side of the road if you're driving your car and essentially just jump over to britishpodcastawards.com slash vote and if you could just go into the listener's choice award uh, category and plug the old tv podcast industries we'd really appreciate it it's a nice little recognition of the work that we do and more actually the listening ship that you do to show that we are there and we we matter uh when it comes to discussing our favorite podcasts yes it would be cool if we uh if we got some votes in there for uh for the uh People's Choice Award or the Listener's Choice Award, of course, uh, is the is the right description of that, Derek. Um, yeah, have a have a uh, have a go at that. It'd be really cool. It's uh, open until the eleventh of July, I think, uh, before they close that first round of, of voting. And it is just as easy as going to BritishPodcastAwards.com slash vote. It's right there. You don't even have to search. Just type in our name, TV Podcast Industries, and we'll pop right yeah. up. And just keep voting. Absolutely. Just keep voting. If your granny has a Gmail account or an email account, get her to vote for us because. Any of our long-time finishers will know, I love the grannies and the grandpas and the aunties and the uncles. They all should be listening to our show and should be voting for us because what else are they doing? <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, let's get into this week's episode, our discussion about Petty Dreadful City of Angels, episode eight, Hide and Seek. The episode was directed by Sherry Folkson, who directed episode seven, and was written by Tatiana Suarez pico you guys may recognize that name because she was an executive story editor on Iron Fist Season 2, the excellent season of Iron Fist. Uh, she wrote Episode 3 of the second season, This Deadly Secret. Do you remember the episode with the dinner party, the kind of really awkward dinner party with yeah, Diane and Colleen that was excellent. Davos? In the there. dojo. Yeah, in the dojo. Yeah. It was a really cool episode and really good uh, dialogue between all the characters as well. It was one of those uh, ones that really set up the rest of the season at that at that point. So I think she did a great job over there. And she got a meaty episode here as well on, uh, on Penny's Red. Too, didn't she? she gave me so many answers but pose so many more questions yes yes she did yes she did uh, another episode not written by john logan the showrunner as well so uh i think he comes back towards the end of the season to close out the show we've just got two episodes left remember of the first and maybe only season of penny dreadful still no confirmation that uh, that the show's getting a second season or whether it was ever intended to have a second season but uh there's definitely some stuff set up in this episode i feel may not be able to be played out by the end of this season 
or at least gives us some threads to go into if we do get a second definitely. season. Definitely. Go Linda Craft. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She's awesome in this episode as well. Um, I know, obviously, with COVID and with everything going on at the moment, it's quite difficult for production companies to come out and go into their regular schedule of this show is out there. We, we're going to renew it for next year and build up that kind of uh, the way of doing things the way they normally do. So it's no ne- not necessarily an indication that it won't get a season two just because it hasn't been renewed right now. Um, things aren't back in production at all yet. So uh, they may just wait until a couple more weeks until they know exactly what's going on in the future before they uh, before they renew it. But it's been a really good season so far. Yeah, so the, the rumor mill at the moment online because that's what every, where all good rumors are, uh, is that a lot is being held for Comic-Con, uh, virtual Comic-Con. Right. Uh, so a lot of the announcements, because they just, they're not, with everything going on, uh, a lot of the market departments don't want to, A, cannibalize the uh, airways for more bigger, better social um, uh, conversations that need to be happening. But mm-hmm. at the same time as well, uh, they actually aren't sure when they can fit things in. So they, I think a lot, apparently a lot of things are going to be teased at uh, the upcoming uh, San Diego Comic-Con virtual uh, piece they're going to do, uh, yeah. but they may not be giving direct dates. Yeah, makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I think it's coming twenty uh, second of July to the twenty fifth. I think of the, think uh, the five it, yeah. days that they're doing it. Uh, we'll definitely be watching it for that to see what we're going to be covering in the future. Really, well, yeah, pretty <laughs> much just, just pushing everything back. So in twenty twenty four, I've lost one arm. Don't ask why. Uh, but <laughs> another, the Eternals, season four of of oh, yeah, Moon Knight, the maybe. Eternals. There you go. <laughs> the TV show. That's, that'll be coming. That'll yeah, be coming. that's coming for sure. John, do you want to give us the synopsis for this episode of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, Hide and Seek? Sure. Lewis confronts Townsend in his office at City Hall. Meanwhile, Tiago questions Adelaide at the temple, where he discovers Josefina is now a member of Sister Molly's congregation and is being baptized. Rio implores Mateo to forget his old family and brace her and the Pachucos. Elsewhere, Peter visits Linda at the asylum, only to find her ready for war. Townsend and Kurt go on a dangerous date, while Peter Kraft argues with members of the German-American Bund. In the Kraft home, Frank terrorises Tom and Trevor as Maria fights to protect them from the demonic child. That's about right. Demonic child. Yeah, absolutely. It is, again, I have to repeat myself a little bit here, but it is still... I'm finding it still a little difficult going, that's still Magda in there. It's still Magda, even when he burns his hand and second Magda runs into the room to calm him down, basically. I still see the two of them as two completely separate characters, but they're not. It's still Magda, you know? So, uh, so Demonic Child, who's also the other woman in the room asking for Maria to be fired. So, uh, it's, it, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of still trying to wrap my head around all of these versions of Magda in there. Before we kick in, I, I'd like to ask a question. Mm-hmm. Sure. The, the, we took, we, we said that the, our, our Townsend and our little Gestapo friend went to, uh, on a, a date. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, these pubs, these gentleman clubs or the, these private clubs, these were real things. This wasn't made for TV. These were. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah they've, they've been around for centuries. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. No, cause I literally watched this and I went, wow, I did not know. Yeah. Like I knew about 1920s prohibition, mm-hmm. they had the the speakeasies and stuff, but actually it was something that never occurred to me, right? That right. these types of bars would have uh, existed back then, mm-hmm. and also they had the the kind of the knock on the door. Um, I was just I you learn something new every day. Yeah. I was just like, wow, like this is. <laughs> 
cool. And yeah. again, it's just even the way they, it was a speakeasy type thing, but it was a way that people could express themselves back then. Exactly, exactly. Now they've been around for, for yeah, uh, absolutely. hundreds of years. In fact, if I, if I remember rightly, I think there was a club just like this in Penny Dreadful. Um, the first, the first series of Penny Dreadful. I think that was a dog fighting club, <laughs> which is a similar type of, uh, hidden club underground in Victoria, London. And it was kind of indicating that there were loads of these types of clubs for the, for different parts of society. This is just a gay bar, basically, that, uh, you're able to just knock on the door and be allowed in. And same sex couples are allowed to dance together. But this whole idea of an underworld behind, uh, behind the facade of the city is kind of something Absolutely. that they've dealt with before. So. I mean, it certainly felt like the TARDIS as well from Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> I, I was kind of expecting a small bar, mm-hmm. but it was all fairly grand inside. But uh, yeah, it was a, that was a great set actually, it or location, uh, depending on what they how how, how they film that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I actually it's not so much a question, but I've got a theory because what's beginning to freak me out now here is that we're we're talking about. Frank being Magda, mm-hmm. there's obviously Elsa, Alex, Rio, um, all Magda, and then there's Magda. And I'm kind of thinking, are there any people that don't look like Magda who, who, who are Magda? Because mm-hmm. um, we already have Frank. So Frank doesn't look anything like Natalie Dormer. Yeah. He is Magda. So there absolutely could be other people. Like so I, I was kind of, I, I, I was thinking around this in relation to Tiago and Molly, just because it's a, feels like a doomed relationship, mm-hmm. even though they're persisting at it, which kind of sounds a bit like Magda and Santa Murta. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, we, we were talking about, he's got the hand of Santa Murta sort of imprinted on his chest. And your theory about whether she's, um, dealing with another god to kind of imbue her with this righteousness, you know, to promote her um, sort of uh, deity, uh, her her holiness, yeah. this kind of thing. And I just wondered, is it is it a metaphor for a doomed relationship and that maybe Molly is also Magda? But mm-hmm. that, that might be a theory too far, but I, I just <laughs> wondered, um, you know, are there potentially anyone else that uh, is Magda but doesn't look like Magda. I think that's so, entirely possible. Right? I think that's definitely a thing. I don't know about Molly, uh, but I think definitely later on, I think there will be a reveal in hopefully either this season or in the next episode or the next season if he gets yeah. one, where he's like, hey, Mr. Gestapo is secretly Magda, or mm. hey, X is secretly Magda all along. Yeah. Um, be- it, it just... You get the feeling, and that's especially I, I'm zeroing in on Mr. Gestapo because she goes when he was asked to kill um, the councilwoman that he goes, you don't know what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you could play that in the sense that he asked for, but at the same time, uh, it's like, hey, you don't want me to kill blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, you could be, well, if you ask Magda to kill someone, then you are basically doing a contract with a devil or a demon, and therefore you're losing your soul, blah, blah, blah. Maybe, maybe. Like, so, there's, you, so you're I thinking, you're thinking maybe Curse could be Magda as well, yeah. Okay, um, interesting, because I think Magda, certainly um, the the approaches, the, the method of her approach is very different. You know, she's terrorizing the kids in, um, in the craft household, mm-hmm. yet at the same time, you know, that kind of interesting mixed message with 
um, Alex Townsend's aide mm-hmm. coming up to uh, Lewis. Now, maybe it's just um, a red herring. Maybe it, it, it's there's another plan behind it, which is most likely the case. But, yeah. you know, Magda was throwing me off this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. A lot of depth and variety to... Um, her kind of methods here, absolutely, yeah, uh, which is kind of interesting. That's what you get when you get a demon whispering in people's ears, telling them what she wants them to do, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's get into our big moments from the episode, guys. Um, John, do you want to kick us off first again? Yeah, I'm. I'm going with my big moment, which is Lewis and Tiago follow up on the old Third Reich. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of liked that. Again, this this episode was bookended with Lewis and Tiago. Um, beginning this this kind of private investigation, really, because I presume they're still on their week's uh, break mm-hmm. or um, holiday from from the police department That's right, yeah. after uh, chucking Diago under the bus, um, so to speak. But it, it's kind of uh, you know we 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 see them heading off, um, and Lewis heads off to the city hall, and Tiago heads off to uh, the temple. Uh, to to question Miss Adelaide, um, and I, I kind of really like these two encounters. Really, I think with Lewis, it really added some resonance because of what Townsend had just gone through with Councilwoman Beck mm-hmm. um, in in her office, Absolutely. where he's he's trying to throw her and in with, with and threaten her, but is equally thrown off by the fact that she really has him clocked. Um, uh, uh, as being homosexual, and he, she she knows his secret, uh, and I love that it kind of just nods back to last the last episode where she, in speaking with Alex, she says you just popped up, which means you have a secret, and in politics, secrets are currency. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's certainly, you know, he 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 was all kind of frustrated, frazzled, um, and all of a sudden he's being questioned by Lewis. And I, I think that's why he says, next time you come in, you need some kind of legal warrant or document and yep. I'll have my lawyer here. Uh, because he was totally thrown off. And I like that in that moment, Lewis kind of pounces. He probably thought you may get no headway mm-hmm. at all. Um, but good and, to put the pressure on, and good to say that. Good to say to this to this guy, we've got our eyes on you, and we know who you're visiting. With, exactly you know, so. that he, you know, he is now aware, like that, the LAPD because he probably sees this as a, um, a a formal official kind of visit mm-hmm. in that sense. That the LAPD now know about his uh meals with with the third reich and mm-hmm. um, which i thought was i just thought it was really nice and i i like the fact that you had alex actually being really quite quiet here she just sits back and and lets it all unfold yeah um and it's just at the end and again she's she's responding to him she doesn't proffer anything in in this moment she doesn't really speak to lewis um and it's it's Townsend that gives her the instruction to call Miss Adelaide to to warn uh, her that they're they're onto them, yeah, that yeah, the LAPD yeah. are onto them. But we have that then really surprising encounter with Alex Malone, or should we say uh, uh, Alexandra Muller now, mm-hmm. um, where she she's chosen Malone um, so that uh, she fits in in City Hall. Really, she so she, she sounds Irish. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> she hides her her Jewish history. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which I think is is really um, interesting. There are a few names that we get to to find out about uh, and get revealed in, in this episode, mm-hmm. um, but. I thought that was really surprising. I'm still not entirely sure how to take it, whether part of her plan um, is maybe this. It's kind of because we don't, we know what she wants in terms of end game, mm-hmm. but then to suddenly have this moment with Lewis, it's probably just to put him off guard. I'm yeah. sure of it, yeah. but I'm just wondering, wouldn't this be really interesting if um, maybe, uh, her reasons for using Townsend are effectively so she can throw him onto the bus and move forward with with something or, or someone else. Um, and or, I, it's just really interesting. Yeah, or just bear in mind one of the other threats that was there. The reason why Townsend was going to visit Councilwoman Beck was because she has another candidate to replace him, a woman who's looking, who says she's willing to serve the city. So there's only other one one other woman that we know of right now that's in the political realm. Uh, potentially, has she aligned herself with Alex as well? Is, is Alex going to get her way and take over from Townsend when he is kicked out? When she uses the video recording of his first night with Kurt, you know? Um, yeah, maybe. Does so she get him kicked out and now she has Councilwoman back on her side, you know? Um, potentially, this was her plan all along. We've been thinking it's to get... Townsend into into, uh, the presidency. Well, if you have Magda actually in public office herself, surely she can control a lot more of the city of LA, you know? Um, But also with that conversation with Lewis, uh, I love that she speaks in Yiddish. Natalie Dormer gets some amount of work to do in this show. This must have taken her months. She's had to learn German, Yiddish, that German-English accent that she has to do. She's got to uh, do all the different characters, all the different styles, you know? But the actual conversation with Lewis, she says to him, um, I will give you information when I can, but it's going to be really difficult for me. So she's given him that he has an ally in Townsend's office, but said, I won't be able to give you a lot of information. So that's a great way to keep him on side and also not have to give him information every single day. It's not like she's wearing a wire going in every day or anything No, like that. that's true. She just says, I will share information about the next meetings that he has. Now, she will be on the back foot because Lewis has been watching the meetings with Goss. So um, so he knows when he meets. And if he doesn't hear from, Ma- from Magda or Alex after those meetings, he's going to know that he's being led down the garden path. Yeah. So she needs to be very careful. But uh, I think it's just to kind of put him off and say, I will give you information, but it won't be a lot. I think so. But at the same time, in a sense, Alex or, or Magda, her whole point is to play both sides off mm-hmm. against one another. Sure. And so whilst it's this, this you know, she, she's been there um, supporting Townsend and so on. And he has these, you know, misogynistic, racist views, um, you know, Councilwoman Beck talks about the social engineering. You know, it starts with the Mexicans. Who yeah. will it move on to, and so on? Um, but at the same time, Alex, in as she or Magda, as she is with Rio, needs to sort of ruffle uh, and um, ferment the the revolutionary seeds um, and anger with the Mexicans like she's doing with Mateo, mm-hmm. and here potentially is doing it with with Lewis. Not so much. Um, sort of stirring things up, but she actually wants to align with both sides mm-hmm. be, as long as it ultimately brings them to clash. Absolutely, uh, that's that's really the point. I feel yeah. with Magda. So um, I suppose it's not that unusual that she would um, mm-hmm. sort of make that connection with Lewis. Yeah. 
Yeah. The the person um Miss Beck was talking about Councilwoman Beck. I thought it was Miss Adelaide. Because we get this whole speech and discussion, which we'll talk about in a second, about what the, the good work she does mm-hmm. and her church church does. Uh, so she's looking like she cares more about the actual uh, the, the social injustices and things that Townsend doesn't care about. Yeah, potentially. So yeah, yeah. that's where I assumed it was going. And Interesting. Yeah. Because, and the reason Alex is pretty much going, all right, okay, Townsend to a degree might be already gone, is because we, back to John, what you talked about a second ago, is like, we still don't know there could be another Townsend, there could be another Alex, another Magda, mm-hmm. that we don't know. There's probably someone in the church. Absolutely. Could yeah, be. That is the storyline that doesn't have a Magda right now. Yeah. Uh, still doesn't have a Magda. Yeah. So I, that's why I think Molly, um, I I like the character, but there's just that idea that keeps coming through over and over again throughout the show that she has so many secrets that she's keeping from others and she has to uh, come up with excuses for those secrets and not telling them to Tiago, not telling them to her mother, all of that kind of stuff, which makes me kind of go, okay, maybe she is much more evil underneath it all. Yeah. Um, So, and potentially, as I said before, maybe she is just channeling Magda. Maybe she's not actually Magda, but maybe she's in contact with the demon and that's what she yeah. thinks is her the voice of God coming through yeah. is actually the voice of Magda coming through her. But I think that would be a great revelation if she didn't know she was evil, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anything else on this point, John? You've had a couple of other things I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose uh, then, you know, Tiago goes to the temple and I, 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 like, um, I like the fact that Miss Adelaide presumably has been forewarned but mm-hmm. has this very different reception to um to tiago she, she's very receptive to him she's kind of fairly predisposed towards towards him and um, but ultimately it kind of turns nasty really because the ultimate goal is to show uh molly baptizing his sister mm-hmm. josefina who um he has has no inkling about uh at all I, I I like how um, just Miss Adelaide turns. It's just really nice from saying, you know, you don't understand what job I do here, mm-hmm. um, and and does all these charitable things. You know, the the doctors, the medicine, the 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 food, um, the the shelter, the the soup kitchens, the the ministry, all this outreach, um, and then you know, in that moment, effectively talks about Molly's secrets, and she does like to keep secrets, and of course, she's baptizing one of those secrets that she hasn't even uh, mentioned to um, to Tiago, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it it I love that kind of interaction because you see Tiago kind of just being fairly uh, businesslike with her um and then sort of the blood boiling uh, as he sees uh, Molly uh, with with his sister mm-hmm. but I think what I really like is that ultimately the two of them can't keep their hands off one another um but they appear doomed you know they it's this doomed relationship it is almost like um uh, Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. You do uh, mean Molly and Tiago, not uh, not Molly and Miss Adelaide. That's no, no, or, or <laughs> Tiago and Lewis. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, Tiago and Molly. Yes. You know that 
their relationship is doomed uh, mm-hmm. or appears doomed just you know in, in terms of the interference from uh, Molly's mum uh, Miss Adelaide uh, just from certainly the secrets that he's been keeping from Lewis and uh, his family about even dating her the idea that you know they're being followed by uh, Randolph um Molly's kind of uh, caretaker and, and look uh, sort of security i suppose yeah um or and miss adelaide's security of molly just I'm everything sure she, she's monitored at all times yeah. well exactly yeah. it's just like everything seems stacked against them yet they can't even between the two of them their their own relationship um is fraught it's it, it's hanging on by this thread yet mm-hmm. they they can't keep their hands off one another it's and like brokeback mountain john she can't quit him no, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no. I just can't quit you. <laughs> she really no. can't. I, um, I can quit you for using that reference. <laughs> Fine, why not? So I really, really liked um, this, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I even liked it more w- with the fact that Lewis finds out about it uh, as well. Yeah. When, um, you know, after their two investigations, um, he... he comes racing around to Tiago so that they can go off to break into the the Via Famosa uh, developments office so that they can kind of find more incriminating evidence and you know he comes in and there's Molly uh, in in the bed um and I, he, he you know as he leaves he just says good evening milady he's kind of <laughs> like and you know then interrogates um Tiago to say when were you going to tell me this one you know mm-hmm. um do you think she knows about the nazis no are you sure about that no it's yeah. and um ultimately this investigation then that they have been doing throughout the day uh, both leads uh, to them being uh, shot at uh, in, in, in the street, which I thought was, I did think Lewis was gonna. And at the same time, I, I used the joke, clutched my pearls. I just went, oh no! I was just like, oh, like, oh, to kill off <laughs> that character. They didn't. And it would be fine. They didn't. But in my head, I raced mm-hmm. through like, how dare they kill off the, such an important character? Thankfully. I was like, the rage and indignation was going in me. And then you see him shoot back. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. It was just, oh. <laughs> it's that eighth episode Netflix turn, really, isn't it? That's roughly the point when they kill off one of the major characters by surprise at the end of an episode. You're coming up, you're watching the clock, you're watching it go down to the end of the episode and going... Maybe Lewis is dead here. Maybe this is the moment where they kill off a major character just after one of his best lines of the series, which is yeah. um, a secret lay is always a good lay, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great I line. literally thought they were going to do, like, if this was Netflix, you he the, the guns would have fired, he would have kind of rolled down, and it went, ka-ding! Mm-hmm. And then that would have been the tra- like the end credits, and you'd then have to go into the next episode to see them shoot back. Yeah, the, yeah absolutely. I, I Like, there was something about that scene, the way it was constructed, that I felt something might happen to poor Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that it didn't, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I kind of do wish, though, that maybe they had, if a few of uh, uh, Tiago and Lewis's bullets had landed on that um, kind of silhouetted shape with the machine gun. It yeah. felt really 1930s Chicago gangster. Absolutely. I really liked it. Yeah. Um, it's a Tommy gun as well. Those things obviously hold about 6,000 bullets in them. <laughs> he was shooting for a long time. He certainly well. was. But I, I w- just, I don't know. 
got his leg or something so that mm. they kind of can identify who it was. Because, I mean, for me, it was either Kurt or Randolph. Um, exactly. And I can't imagine Randolph had uh, sort of uh, a semi-automatic machine gun. But you never know, well, you for never sure. Know. So so there, that's your theory, then, uh, that it's either Randolph, uh, the minder of Molly, that's uh, come to take out... Or it's like Miss yeah, Adelaide. Is it Miss Adelaide? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, it's, no, it's no. kind of like Hot Fuzz, where the grannies come out with the guns. It's <laughs> like, stay away from my daughter. Miss Adelaide has her gun, which is Randolph. So yeah, that that makes sense as a, as a logical point. But do you think Kurt has been dispatched to kill them? I, I don't know what it is about Kurt as the character. I feel like uh, I know we I know we've only seen him on screen kill the two friends of of Lewis, um, but he did did it quite brutally, quite quickly, and. Uh, covered the whole thing up as well, remember. Um, it feels like he'd probably stalk Lewis into a back alley and kill him yeah. uh, rather than doing something so open in the street as a Tommy it, gun from across the street. It feels more like a warning, mm. I think. Um, you know, I think her her goss is is very smart. You know, uh, the suggestion from, from Townsend that he should assassinate councilwoman beck was kind of you know dismissed Mm. out of hand as well no it would draw too much attention and if things go south then maybe you know last resort type of thing and that maybe with you know lewis and tiago's investigation is is not unknown so it's more of a warning off and uh to say stop and because they're lapd they 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 want to shoot as such two detectives so um that might explain why most of the bullets missed, um, but it certainly did uh, tons of damage to the, the, the car. It certainly did, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I just wonder, I suppose, what's the purpose of this right now if it's not Herr Goss? Is it somebody else that knows they're following the Nazis and is trying to warn them off? Uh, in not in a good way, <laughs> not like uh, steer clear. You're uh, you're not safe. Like obviously, uh, is it another member of one of the other parties? Maybe someone from the German Bund. Maybe has uh, has taken exception to the two of them following Hergos and and Townsend and Miss Adelaide. Um, it feels Miss Adelaide does feel reasonably aggressive that she may yeah. send Randolph out to to shoot somebody in the street. Um, but I'm still not too sure about that character. There's there's ideas that maybe she's not as evil as she is that molly's the evil one uh why would she send somebody yet to to shoot someone with molly in plain sight um i don't know uh but the, those are the two big theories i guess would be yeah either of the two i then. suspect it's curse and her goss maybe so i actually suspect it's randall right because <laughs> no just because i don't think Kurt, it it doesn't seem as personal as what or as up close as what Kurt would do or the the Gestapo would do. I think it's based on what previously Miss Adelaide had said, Mm -hmm. um, the way that she deals with the the implication, the suggestion that it was Randall who did the the original four killings um, Mm -hmm. of the the, the family and the Hazlitts and then just then based on what Lewis and Tiago kind of, and what they figured out and their pushing of the, what's happened in this episode. Yeah. I get the feeling it's Randall. Yeah. That's my, just, okay. that's where my, my, and also the height and the silhouette, unless it is Miss Adelaide, you know, <laughs> maybe um, there was that nice, that interesting moment from Miss Adelaide where she thanked Tiago uh, when he arrived for finding the murderers of the Hazlitts. Um, so she knows that, I think she ga- gauges from his reaction that uh, there may be something that he's not certain that Diego did it, uh, potentially. Uh, if it is something that uh, that 
Miss Adelaide did, well, she knows who the murderer is, right? So, uh, so maybe that's the reason that, that she's sending Randolph out to kill the two of them is because now that there's someone in custody, if it killed the two detectives who may have doubts over who they put in custody, then, uh, then that all goes yeah. away. The whole has the thing goes away. Maybe that's the reason. I know you're pretty much finished with your point, John, but can, can we mention the, the singer in the club now? Can we, can we, no, it was one of the most exciting moments in the episode that, for Penny Dreadful fans. Absolutely. That was one of my kind of, um, little points around um uh councilman townsend because you know he's had his he's been threatened by uh councilwoman beck he is drinking at least early in the morning Mm -hmm. in in his city office and he's had the lapd detectives in his office um, and, you know, he's kind of unwinding with Kurt, so to speak, or so, so we think in, in, in this private club, uh, which is just so nicely done. I mean, even down to, um, the, the detail of having the, uh, alarm bell, uh, in case it's the vice squad that come, come through yeah. the doors. Uh-huh. I, I like even that, uh, Townsend, as they're walking down the, the alleyway, he, pulls to one side as two ladies walk past just mm. so they don't recognize him he tips the front um the the doorman so that you know keeps his silence or you know adds a little bit more um persuasion to that silence that mm-hmm. he would anyway keep um and i just thought it was really nicely observed um and then i th- i think the whole thing with kurt and you know they they call both uh, Beck and Kurt call him by his first name, Charlton, here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think Councilwoman Beck's threat to him, even though she would follow through on it, she doesn't want to. Um, and because, no, because she calls him Charlton and she yeah. says, watch your back. Um, mm-hmm. And Kurt here in this moment calls him Charlton. Um, and I, I really kind of like that conversation as we kind of just discussed before this you know he he's straight out with wanting to kill her um and we we have that i don't work for you but you know he he says um you don't know what you're saying you're not a killer you'll lose something that's not the man i love um and it is kind of interesting that this kind of these two despicable guys um, Kurt and Charlton, one Gestapo, the other this racist uh, bigot uh, in public office, mm-hmm. and yet there's this moment of something that's relatable, certainly for me, um, going to a, a gay club mm-hmm. and or bar and, and speaking quite tenderly, and again, it just it, it it's that idea that the observation that these two people can be despicable but they can also have very tender very real uh, emotive feelings Mm -hmm. and kindness towards one another even though they're unkind to other people and it's a complete and i love that i think it's so uh, real and complex exactly. and interesting yeah. that they portray it in, in this way, I think. Um, and of course, we get Patty Lapone in the club as Finally, well. Finally, poor Chris has been sitting on the opposite side of our Skype when I said this is a big moment for Petty Dreadful fans. He's been going, What? I'm a Petty Dreadful fan. What the hell was the big moment about the singer? And I've been waiting for you to say Patty Lapone. Patty Lapone was an actress in the first series of Penny Dreadful. She uh, had probably the biggest episode in season two, which was the cut wife of Ballantry Moore, and she paid, played the character of 
the cut wife of Ballantry Moore, an excellent two-handed episode with Eva Green, where the two of them were the only real people that were in the entire episode. She was magnificent. And because she was so good, she was brought back as a major character in the final season, played Dr. Seward, a completely different character in the final season of, of Penny Dreadful as well. So, But she, a relative of... A descendant. A descendant. The way she's described, yeah. 500 relative. years, I think, is probably the yeah. difference between the two. So not, not like a cousin, but like a, a distant descendant of a character that lived for many, many years, yeah. Um, so They're really related. Cool. They are related. They looked very similar. Yes, they did. Of course, yes. And then I think instantly uh, the character reacts to that <laughs> as well. So, uh, but this time we have Patti Lapone on stage here. Uh, she is a, a well-known singer um, from from stage in the in the US. She's been on Broadway since the seventies, um, and also appeared in the wonderful show Pose uh, last season as a very villainous character in uh, in her role in there. Uh, sometimes villainous, sometimes duplicitous as well. But uh, really cool to see her back on Penny Dreadful to just this just this one episode and have her in this moment with. Uh, with Charlton and Kurt uh, dancing uh, below. below, I think it was a really good moment between all of these characters here, and it's just great to see Paddy LaPone back on screen. Do you think she's supposed to be a descendant again? No, I don't think they're going to connect it that way, but it would be a good way to connect it because I suppose what some fans complained about with the Dr. Seward character being connected to the cut wife of Ballantry more is that it didn't play off into anything by the end of the third season. It was just, um, it was learnt that she was a descendant, but it didn't really have a connection to uh, to the cut wife. Would that be accurate, John? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it didn't pay off in in that respect. We didn't suddenly find ourselves back on Ballantry more for sure. But um, uh, it, it, I think the idea of having that connective tissue running through was really good. It's just great to have Patty Lapone back in the stable for this uh, for this fourth season of Play Dreadful. I, I think I saw the image of her. Uh, on stage in this particular scene. I think it was an image that was released sometime in January of this year. So I've actually known that she was going to appear in the show for about six months. Um, and I was expecting her to play a character similar to Rory Kinnear, that uh, that they would bring the actor back playing a completely different character. Um, but at least we get a great performance from her on stage. Yeah, no, it was. It was great. And that whole scene was just fantastic. Really good. Really, really good. Chris, do you want to take us on with your big moment from the episode? Because I think you have one of the best moments from the episode, to be honest. Sure. Just let me uh, dislocate my jaw a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Do you want to scream? Ah! That was not me screaming. That was an attempted scream. Mm. I just want to save everyone's eardrums. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my big point is, um, and I, I thank you guys for giving me this point, mm-hmm. um, or allowing me to take this point, which is hide and seek in the Kraft family home. Mm-hmm. Um, this job, oh, Maria's there. We now start to see that Elsa, Magda, and her forms of Elsa and Frank are not happy with the coyote mm-hmm. being in there. And then Derek, hats off. Every, there's a multiple, epi- multiple mentions of coyote in this episode. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I now know why, but, um, just the, the, first introduction where we see Maria uh, burying the hamster with Tommy mm-hmm. and we get the sense that she already now she's starting to be aware that Elsa and Frank there's something wrong that there's darkness afoot yes um, and she then provides Tommy with the, the, the talisman of protection the black talisman of the coyote mm-hmm. um, that then leads to that we skip forward, we start to see that there's obviously Frank is challenging Maria there. Um, and oof, 
that's a straight for the jugular or the emotional jugular. It's like, did you always want to wash toilets? No, you want to be a nun. Mm -hmm. No. Then you went and got knocked up. I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially just, and then ending with that bone curdling dislocation. Mm -hmm. And it's all back to normal split seconds and everything's. What did you think? Go on and it's going inside with the boys, which is why I love Maria as a character in this show, because despite everything that's going on, she's not phased by it. She's weirded out by it. She's creeped out a little bit by it, but she's not phased. She still knows there's something going on. She's also not connecting that it is specifically Magda, even though she had that conversation with Magda before. All of the stuff that's going on between her and these two characters, Elsa and Frank, all the time, she's not specifically saying this is the same character that I had that fight with in my house. She's still treating them like they are a child in her care and her new boss, basically, in the case of Elsa, still being very polite with them. Um, even though the first time she talks to Elsa in this episode, she uh, Elsa says to her, did you hear the coyote crying outside yeah. yesterday? If that was in our home, we would kill them all. We would slaughter them all. So indicating, indicating to her, hi, I know you're the old coyote. I'm Magda. <laughs> but she goes and just says, I didn't hear it. Uh, and then she's told that she's not allowed to have Mexicans near the house because what would the neighbors think? And she apologizes and says that won't happen again, miss, basically. So um, she's not rising Connected. to the challenge. Well, she's not rising to the challenge, I think. I she's think not she's dealing with it. But I like yeah. that if you if you wrap it back to what she said to Tommy at the beginning of the episode, oh, yeah. where he realized and says to her out loud, Frank is the one that killed my hamster. He's the one that killed uh, Friar Tuck. And she goes, I believe you. You can't tell anybody. Not yet. So, yeah. uh, so maybe that's it. Maybe she's just going to play the role not reveal to them that she knows the information, that she knows that these two beings are Magda until she's in a stronger position, until she has a way to defeat them uh, towards the end of the uh, yeah. yeah, Because we, what we get is then the, the, I, I don't want to call it a dream, hmm. but we, it's a dream like sequence. Yeah. It's similar to the, I would say similar to the sequence from earlier on in the season with Tommy, uh, seeing the dead body of the, of the, uh, murdered girl that yeah. Frank put into his mind. So it is something that she is experiencing, but it, but she comes back to the same moment afterwards. So it's almost like a dream. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So and probably the kids didn't experience it. No, I don't think they did. Mm. Like, I think that's the whole, whole point is, is that that's just between her and Frank. Yeah. Yeah. But. The, the the earlier thing between them where he unlocks his jaw, I think that is in, in the real world. Yes. And, and, and you're right. I think uh, Maria's got this inner strength and it's whether it's the belief in the power of her talisman, her her idols that she worships and um, prays to. And... I, I think I think it's that because yeah I I agree what she says to Tom as they are having the grand burial of Friar Tuck underneath the cherry tree mm-hmm. uh, also looked on by creepy Frank from from the window oh. um but yeah she, she's don't tell your father yet or Tom or Trevor um not just yet it, it feels like she knows she has to bide her time and be yeah. patient it's like with her. 
uh, confrontation in that dream with her dead husband. Um, I, I loved that moment where um, her husband, Jose, appears uh, and is effectively telling um, her to to run, mm-hmm. to, to get out of the... Um, and, and forget about it. And I, she, she says, uh, let me tell you what I know, which is not a lot. There are two things I know, which should be more for a woman of my age. Uh, really good. Is One is my husband would never tell me to run away. And two, the beast takes many forms. So I think she does know it's Magda um, in terms of the beast. I think with that reference mm. to the beast, I think um, it's been building on her and building on her through. You've always seen the the kind of pl- polite refrain that she's had in the presence of Elsa and certainly uh, as well with Peter Kraft there. Yeah. I think... With her protective coyote symbol, now with Tom, also her potentially she has the protection or she is praying for the protection from Santa Murta. And mm-hmm. um, she's faced Magda off in her own home. I, I, I feel that she knows her foe, so think, to speak. Yeah. And, and I think that's really, really interesting. She's a, she's a, a, a wily. She's a wily yeah, coyote. Yes. <laughs> Dare I say it? <laughs> yeah. Me, me, me. As long I, as Magda isn't a roadrunner, let's just say that. Me, 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 me. Where my head stands is I think she knows it. the beast is Frank. The beast was definitely based on the the, the, the jaw, based on just the, the end scene where he whacks off the kettle and looks her straight in the eye and mm-hmm. just kind of barbecues his own hand. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if she knows it's Elsa as well. I think I, I think there may be suspicions, but I don't think I think Marie is biding her time. Like yeah. you guys said. She she's trying to build her strategy for whatever reason. Um I think we have asked for a long time. Not asked for a long time. We've asked a few times, like, where is the supernatural in this? Aside from Magda being multiple. Sorry. <laughs> when I say we, I've asked, You've asked multiple yes. times, where is the supernatural? We got this in spades. Mm-hmm. Like, we got creepy Frank, like, running around the walls. <laughs> like, yeah. literally, I was expecting a spider moment shoot up, like, where the camera looks up and he's there, like, spider crawling, head uh-huh. twisted back. Um, we never got that directly, but we did get Maria's husband, Jose, like burning to a crisp, like Absolutely. melting, which hands off to the, the CGI makeup department on that one. Yeah. That looked crisp in 4K. It, crisp. It really did look amazing. And it's, it's such a punishment for Maria as well for her not accepting, I suppose, the, the uh, what Frank is trying to do to get her to leave. She's not accepting it. She's saying, I know that you're lying. I know that you must be the beast. And her punishment is she must watch her husband die. Remember, she wasn't even there yeah. at the time when he died. She uh, arrived afterwards. It was only Tiago that was there. He was the only survivor, I think, or one of the only survivors of that burning that Magda did in that first episode. So, um, so for her to have to experience what her husband went through as a punishment for not taking the advice of Frank almost, I think is really brutal. And I think it's, it's so well acted by Adrian Barraza. I think she's just stunning in that moment where you can really feel that she, it's something that she never wanted to see, something that she never wanted to experience. It's probably even worse than she ever yeah. imagined to see her husband there screaming in front of her, you know? And it leads us to like, 
Elsa Elsa's been trying to get rid of Maria for mm-hmm. this whole episode. And we do get this confrontation at the end, which we can discuss in a bit. Mm-hmm. But more, it doesn't come to fruition. And we see the consternation. We see the anger on Elsa or slash Magda mm-hmm. as she sits back into the chair as she's not fired. Maria's still there. And like she did not, she, she was planning all this to get rid of the coyote from the house to get, and unfortunately she still has a coyote problem. Yeah, she does. Yes, she does. I, I, and she's potentially backed the wrong horse as well. So it's kind of, it, it, it's multiplied on her. It is, you know, it's that moment where at the horse races, you realize your bet isn't about to win you a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I love that she seems dejected here. It gives, it gives this vulnerable side to Magda, which I think is really good. Um, mm. I think, uh, interesting read. I'm no, not read, that, not that, that she's vulnerable. Vulnerable is not, but she's, she's not, she's not infallible. Yes, I suppose exactly. more yeah. to the point. Yeah. Um, I, the, the other thing I really want to pick out here is, um, two things. One, I just, yeah, the whole lights down, brothers down, completely thought that this was happening. I had no idea that it was a dream sequence yeah. <laughs> as she was looking into the, the bloody water. Um, and so just that, that sense of, oh, at that, that moment, I thought, oh, Trevor and Tom, no, they realize something is a little, uh, unreal about Frank. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole, yeah, the lights down, the torch, um all all of that was like fantastic um and frank when he burns himself and he's just like looking at maria smiling and then as um elsa and peter come in uh that little kid's acting was fantastic i love his change and santino bernard um just that change from creepy smiling kid with his hand in the gas flame oh. uh, to like wounded burnt um child looking for the comfort um of of his of his mum it was just it was really good i loved that scene i loved the really quick change and yeah. so, um, yeah. so much so good yeah really really good so yeah, for me this was this brought the supernatural, which I really enjoyed. And this mm-hmm. this brought it all front and ahead. Um but that's kind of really it, because there's a lot more. There's one final bit which ties into this, which great greater discussion later. So I think that's let's close off this point. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, Derek, what's your major point for this episode? It's not as scary, unfortunately, but still Aww. great. Well, still great. Like- well it is. Certain places. <laughs> Certain places, yes. That, but that, that moment, you're, you're right, Chris, that hide and seek moment is the scariest moment of the season so far. Um, and a manipulated dream or a manipulated vision, I suppose, for, for Maria. So, um, what I have is a bit more, uh, a little more grounded. Um, we have, uh, Peter, Linda, and Elsa at the other major storyline, really, in this episode, because we get a great visit from Peter to Linda Craft in the sanatorium. Uh, I love the scene because, I love how it starts out where she's completely dismissive of Peter bringing her the yellow roses because he bought them just down, just down in the concession stand on the way into the building. It's like, Oh, how great you remembered. <laughs> and then he tries to placate her instantly telling her that she looks beautiful. And she's like, I haven't washed my hair in three weeks. <laughs> you know, I do not look beautiful. You're saying that to get something out of me, but we see how strong then the craft is. We heard yeah. it from her when she was being Definitely. forced to go to the sanatorium. We heard she was going to fight this, but she 
was going to go willingly for the moment and then bide her time. Uh, I love that what, what, how it's, how it's turning effectively is that her father's going to take care of her. She, he's going to look over all of the docks and she will then bide her time potentially for years until she's able to pull apart the house of cards that is built on, as we'll currently call him, uh, Dr. Peter Craft. Um, I love that she knows the secrets. I love that she's going to use that against him, but who's going to wait for the best possible time to destroy this man. Uh, I think that's really interesting play from Linda. And I, I really say Piper Parabo in this scene shows why she's in the show. She's so good uh, in this moment between them. Absolutely. This was an, uh, a standout moment, not just for this character and for mm-hmm. this actress. Um, for me, it was a standout moment for the series, and I know that says a lot, and I kind of moving it quite high. The re- my rationale for that was, you've seen this character. If you didn't know who Piper Parabo was, mm-hmm. your your assumption is that this is a supporting character. It's not going to be a big deal in the end, right? Yeah. But the intensity, the the, the acting chops that uh, Piper brings to this, like you, this sets this sets it up. Yeah. How this sets it up to be played, who knows? But it's really just this kind of like, hey, you know this character that you thought was just kind of in the background that you barely saw and just got chipped off? No, 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 no. She means business. Absolutely. And yeah. this is how. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of like the, the insight it gives into Peter's character as well, because, you know, we'll talk about it a bit more in the other part of this point, but, um, Peter actually genuinely does seem to be almost a good guy in some, senses he seems to be a a person that believes he's right anyway and believes that he's trying to have a peaceful life effectively um and she plays on that with him she kind of plays on the fact that she knows he's not going to push this too far she will be able to take apart all of this life that he's built for him because it's all built on lies and she knows that um I must say, I also love her final line to him. The uh, next time, bring back a lawyer and a cow for my for my roommate yeah. who misses her cows at home. Uh, I love that moment between the two of them. But but I do think that she knows that he's a bit of a sniveling git, basically. Um, that he's not he's not a strong man. He's a man that wants peace and thinks he's going to be able to get through life, getting what he wants and not making too many waves, even though he's part of a Nazi bunt. Um, you know, it's, it's, or the German bunt, excuse me. He's not a Nazi, which is the other part I was going to talk about in a minute. But, um, but it is interesting that she knows that about him. Uh, she, she, he kind of says to her, you know, I'll just sign the documents. And she's, she says, my father will look over them. And oh, no, there's no, it's not necessary for that to happen. And she knows that he's just being a bit slimy about it and doesn't yeah. want to, doesn't want to have a confrontation with her. Yeah, I, th- I think, um, like, I, I like you, Chris. I, I loved uh, this this moment with Linda. It is the verbal middle finger to Peter yeah. mm-hmm. and what he's put her through, and that is just played so nicely by Piper Parabo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's so good. I look, you know, Peter comes in, yeah, looking all wonderful, seemingly concerned by uh, for her. Um, and I love that she kind of just fobs him off, you know, she's kind of cuts him, cuts him out and, and isn't really answering his questions. She doesn't kind of give him that inch. Um, you know, I, my hair's not been washed. I, you know, the, the roommate from Bakersfield, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and 
whether she intuitively knows uh, or forewarned by the family lawyer, you know, he's he he wants something from her. This isn't uh, Peter necessarily being genuinely um, caring for her. It's not to say he doesn't, but he does also want something from her. Um, and just the turn that she has where, you know, she effectively says, you can keep the kids, the house... I'll see out the divorce in Reno with the the hunky uh, tennis pro at the local club, mm-hmm. um, but this um, this will not. I won't be in here forever, uh, and and then I will take your life apart. Your life as a house of cards yes. that they will fall one by one. Um, it's like wow, she has claws. Uh, I just loved it. I thought it was superb. Yeah. Um, I think the other great thing here is that the this is the first part of Peter's reveal. This is the horrible Peter. Um, but we see a very different Peter, again, the complexity of a single man holding multiple and potentially seemingly, at least from a mo- moral point of view, uh, contradictory kind of positions, mm-hmm. depending yeah. on who it's with. And it, it's just really, really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, because he's played by Rory Kinnear and we, we like the actor and we liked him in the first series of Penny Dreadful, we kind of give him a little bit of leeway. But what he's done here with his wife is absolutely atrocious. And what he's trying to do here with her is get her to sign a document that says it's absolutely fine what you've done moving in <laughs> yeah, this exactly this blonde is 20 years your junior into the house to take care <laughs> of my kids and stick me in a sanatorium like i love that she's just going no it's not going to go down that easy for you and if it does go down that easy for you i'm going to make sure it all falls apart as soon as i get the opportunity to do it so watch your back but this episode really does give us everything else about peter doesn't it we, we now know his entire history um and we know a lot more about his opinions and his beliefs this episode which i thought was quite surprising really um considering the way we've been seeing him from the from the first episode we kept going he's a member of the german bund he's therefore he's a nazi so don't believe anything he says and um, we get to this dinner party shame with, on us eh? i know well kind of but um we get to the german dinner party the the german bund dinner party and we have herman ackerman uh played by ethan peck once again uh really good to see him in here uh, Spock uh, giving out some some uh, some Nazi racism from the opposite side of the table. It's still very weird to see Spock talking like this, but uh, but it's interesting that he's pushing to align with Hitler uh, and get rid of any Jewish person that has any connection at all with the German Bund. Uh, he believes in the idea of Hitler, the purification of anybody connected to the Nazi Party, and we have Peter on the opposite side of the table going, "No, no, I believe." That German German is Germany is a great nation. I believe America is a great nation, and I believe we should all be peaceful and we should all live together and promote how great our nations are through peace. Ackerman is completely different to that. Ackerman is the character that we thought Peter Kraft was almost. Yeah. Uh, Ackerman is the the person that wants to lead them down the path of the Nazis. Um, loved the moment when Elsa stood up uh, to Ackerman on behalf of Peter Kraft saying that, uh, well, Hitler's not even German, he's Austrian. So <laughs> yeah. what does he have to say about how great Germany is as a civilization? You know, uh, I love that. But I, uh, the turn is great as well when they when they're in the car home and Elsa says to Peter, uh, the only reason I did that was because I was embarrassed for you. I was embarrassed that you weren't able to stand up for Germany. You weren't able to stand up to Ackerman at all. And he was he was talking down to you constantly. So I defended you, but he's right. 
he believes that everybody that isn't part of the German society should be exterminated for the betterment of German society. And you should believe the same as what she's saying to Peter. So, uh, so that's a, a really interesting, challenging moment between the two of them. And Peter does kind of keep his cool. He kind of says to her, well, I've, I've gone through all of this. He finally reveals who he is. He's a member of the Krupp family, the uh, well-known weapon makers uh, who've been around for 400 years. Uh, real life, uh, that's exactly who they are. They, they have been weapon makers in Germany for uh, for 400 years. They have come uh, come in and out of prominence, but certainly during this time, coming up to World War II, they were the World War II profiteers, basically. They were the uh, Tony Stark, uh, let's use a Marvel analogy, the Tony Stark of World War II. They were making all the weapons to kill everybody and in the world. world. War and World War I. Yeah. And well, uh, and going back quite a long way. Years, um, yeah. yeah. But exactly uh, as he says, but, but it's interesting that he holds that belief. He has left the family. He's no longer a member of the family. He's cut him, cut ties with it, moved to America, changed his name, and he's not willing to go back to it just for Elsa's push, just because Elsa thinks that's what makes a strong <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah. Uh, he's not willing to go back and not willing to agree with the way that she's, that she said he believe he has his beliefs and he believes that setting up the German Bund and showing how great German people are will allow them to integrate better into society, not distance themselves from the society, not align themselves with Hitler. So uh, I think that's a really interesting idea. And I do wonder, we had the question earlier on, I'll, I'll, I'll put, put forward my uh, idea on it, but um, I do wonder whether the, there is that moment, whether Elsa thinks that she's backed the wrong horse here. Maybe she should have gone with Herman Ackerman. He seems like a much uh, more logical choice uh, to get into the Nazis. Or is she setting herself up Similar to Alex setting herself up in uh, in City Hall as a, a dependable person and possibly moving uh, herself into a much more powerful position when Tenzend is gone, maybe she's setting herself up in the German Bund to have quite a powerful position not connected to Dr. Kraft. Maybe she's setting herself up as a close ally to Ackerman, not necessarily as a partner for when things fall apart for Kraft in the future. Yeah, maybe. Absolutely. I, I definitely think there is the moment I wrote it in my notes where the look on Elsa's face at the the dinner table yeah. is like you know, oh, I should have hooked up with Ackerman. He <laughs> he's saying what I want yeah. uh, Peter to say. I I love that she couches it in in terms of you know we we need your strength. Uh, where is your pride? You know, trying to bay on on those kind of in a sense I would say masculine tropes actually about what you know. Oh, I, I must be strong, and mm -hmm. you know, if my pride's affected, well, then I'm I'm going to sort of um, turn on whoever's, uh, uh, you know, question my pride and all this. You know, she she's trying to touch those masculine buttons, and and I like the fact that Peter doesn't um, doesn't rise to that bait from her, um, yeah. and I like the fact that you know, in this in this scene, you you have you know that debate of what is German. For Germans in 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 the 1930s, with you know a, a Nazi government in power, mm. you know you hear um, uh, Peter talking about the hundreds thousands of German Jews who fought in World War One, all, all this kind of thing, you know, and you you realise that it's it's from personal experience as a medic in World War One, seeing what his family's armaments did. That's why he's kind of renounced the family. He's taken this other name of, of, of Kraft. Um, there's a really interesting kind of irony, I suppose, that Krupp subcontracted 
to um, the British armaments firm Vickers, and and um, before the war, Vickers subcontracted to Krupp for a particular type of shell case and, and yes. firing system. Yeah. So that actually, um, a lot of German soldiers had bullets pulled out of them, which had Krupp. The, yeah. had, had the company name and, and motto on the sh- on the bullet head of right. Krupp, um, because the Brits were actually firing Krupp bullets mm-hmm. um, for, because of the subcontraction, yeah. uh, because of the relate business relationship between uh, Vickers and and Krupp, and effectively, which is fascinating. Yeah, effectively, why Krupp was known as a war profiteer rather than just an arms manufacturer. They were the people that were uh, apparently kind of forcing some violence between countries um well known for lobbying for uh, battles to begin partly because they were supplying the ammo to do so so (laughs) you can't you can't supply ammo if there's no wars going on so uh, so a really interesting uh, background because we didn't even think to look up look that up you know we didn't even think of looking up who were the most important people in germany or in essen in the 30s krupp would have would have sat at Number one of that of that uh, that search in Google, if you if you check out who's the most most infamous people in Essen at the time, Essen was almost known as you know a, a state unto itself. It was almost known as a place that uh, that people were supportive of Krupp because they were so powerful there. Everybody worked for them. The whole city was basically built by Krupp, so they were almost seen as its own state under Krupp. So uh, you certainly would recognize uh, this. Definitely. This family. The, the other interesting thing was because it was a f- it w- it was also a family company. So the effectively like a mm-hmm. monarchy, the eldest um, uh, brother, in fact, it wasn't even sibling or, or child, would become the the next head of head of the board um, and the the owner of, of the company. Um, so. That also maybe um, at this time the it was Alfred Krupp and he supported the Nazis. Mm. So the, again, it's just that idea that maybe Peter's situation could be almost just due, due to brothers falling out maybe. as well, uh, which is kind of interesting, yeah. I, uh, I think. But uh, certainly, um, I think yeah, they were the mains weapons manufacturer in terms of Panzers. Yeah. Uh, bullets um, and and the Stukas um, uh, and arms supply in, in Germany at that time. Um, but the, uh, it didn't end well for them, put it this way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Elsa wanted Kraft to be the Krupp, the, 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 the strong nationalist. And basically this is be careful what you wish for. Because right at this end, he's like, he's pushed. I see it a bit like Bruce Banner Hulk, again, bringing in a Marvel analogy. Uh-huh. It's just like, I want you angry. I want you to be the, the maestro. I want you to be the Hulk from Planet Hulk. And he's, he's Dr. Banner going, no, you don't. No, you don't. I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to be kind of gentle, peace loving. I care about like, and everyone's pushing him, pushing for the Hulk. At the end of this, they get the Hulk and it, kind of bites them in the ass yeah. because the way I see it is that I think or I thought that Elsa wanted Kraft to become Krupp, take back on the business, go back to the war start the war, get all that going Maybe. that's the way yeah. I saw or potentially yeah. and I think her look of slight defeat as she sinks into the couch mm-hmm. as he completely goes against her doesn't fire Maria 
Mm-hmm. And, and notice, I think this is the gives her oh a God, raise. In fact, that I'm, just I'm, doesn't fire. It gives her a raise. Yeah, and this is oh, I've pushed the button and the man to the edge. I've got my Incredible Hulk, and the Hulk didn't smash what I wanted to smash. It smashed <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or smash my plans. And I think that's the interesting part. So for me, I've been asking again. I'm putting. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I've mm-hmm. been asking what is going on with Craft. How does this all fit in? Yeah. We got the answers, and I'm like, Mwah, Chef Kiss, <laughs> in terms of how they weave this story. That I was like, this is good. This you're taking. This is a long ball. Like this is yeah. you're trying to hit a. You're trying to hit a bullseye from a thousand yards I- away. And from a from a writing standpoint, I know we're on episode eight of the show. Looking back on the season so far, I realize why this took so long for these characters to get to this point. I don't think it's I think they're writing the character the way you would write them. If it was somebody else, if it was Herman Ackerman that um, Elsa aligned with back at the dinner party in episode four, I think by episode five. He'd be marching the streets with the German Bund doing exactly what she wanted him to do. The reason it's taken so long to get to a point here with him standing up to her and going, I'm not going to do what you you want to do. You've turned me back into Peter Peter Krupp, who is the one that left his family and put it all behind me and went on a peaceful mission for Germans. I think that's makes a lot of sense for the character to not have been able to be pushed into a situation by Elsa for eight episodes. And I think it makes logical sense for his character to have taken this long to come to the forefront of the story almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think if she'd chosen a different a different target, maybe it would have been the wrong target, but maybe it would have moved along that plan of hers in a different direction. So uh, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see what she's going to do next, I suppose, uh, with Elsa and, and Peter. I certainly, again, if you think about the timeline that she's spent in this home with the two kids, I think she has been pushing it very hard for the last couple of days, you know, expecting this oh, yeah. guy's going to be a pushover. You know, she's trying to get rid of his, uh, his maid, expecting that uh, his kids are going to move around the house just because that's what she wants. Um, and I think he is going to stand up, and I think uh, she may have to make it brand new arrangements uh, for what she's going to do next, because uh, I think one of the wheels just fell off the plan right here. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think that's interesting that... The coyote has, has, is in that house. You know, that mm-hmm. there is, uh, maybe this supernatural disruption to her plans because of Maria being there. Absolutely. Like you see the fondness that Peter has for Maria. Yeah. He's not a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't profess to want to follow Hitler. Um, and in fact, I love his line it, just because I'm German. That means I'm German. It doesn't mean I have to follow Hitler. It's, just, yeah. it's it's very specific in his head that that's my nationality. It doesn't mean I have to follow one person. You know, and, yeah. and really it's like my nationality. That. It's not my ideology. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I thought this was really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm right with you. I want to see where this goes in the next episode. And I'm, I'm, I'm I hats off to hats off to the writing team. Like mm-hmm. they, they, as you said, I now understand why it has taken so long to get what to get to this point and it's paid off um if this had have been uh, yeah he turns bad and where he turned bad and it was all done and it was like well yeah that would have been uh, and it wouldn't have been the payoff i wanted yeah. this is the payoff that makes sense yeah. for the narrative beats we've got it feels like as soon as he realizes he's being pushed in a direction that he doesn't want to go he 
digs his heels in yeah. and goes, hang yeah. on a second. You know, you're not manipulating me anymore. You're not whispering in my ear, telling me what you may be interested in me doing. You're telling me how you want me to be. Nope. My family didn't, weren't able to do that. You're definitely not able to do that. So, uh, so a really interesting one for, for the main beats of the episode. A couple of the things we haven't talked about in the episode, um, uh, that I think are important just to call out here, I suppose. Um, we do have just one scene with Mateo and Rio, uh, where Rio effectively says to Mateo that the reason why Diago is the one that she threw under the bus for the killing of Officer Riley is because Mateo is supposed to be the new leader of the Pachucos. So yeah. where does that leave Fly, Fly Rico? Well, not the leader. And mm-hmm. we know... Um, How is he going to take that? He's is he's not going to take that well. Push to kill Fly Rico to take over? Is there going to be some altercation between the two of them? Or is Fly Rico just going to step back and allow Mateo to step over uh, and the two of them run from behind the scenes, maybe, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I want to see more of Matteo. Like, he had that absolute pivotal moment um, where he he runs from his brother and everything that happened with Riley and so on. Um, and it seems like he... And he's he's obviously not been under house arrest, but it just, just feels like he's been under house arrest in mm-hmm. the, the oil fields yeah. uh, with Rio. Although Fly Rico's not there. So... Um, you know, I, I like the fact well, it's that like he goes outside and sees two people coming towards him and runs back inside. So it feels like he's trying to stay completely below the radar there, at least. Yeah, I mean, Isn't I, I, I think so. I think it's obviously still playing out in, in quite a short time period. Yeah. So that makes sense. But, you know, and he, he has been into town because he, he spoke with Josefina. Um, you know, he, he's he's seen his mum. Um, and, you know, you've got the sense that he is conflicted. He's unsure. Whether Rio's speech to him, um, you know, about uh, that, you know, he is the person to give the Pachicos, the Mexicans, hope, desire, strength, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to to walk. You know, she says, we, we will walk in blood to your throne, that he's going to be this revolutionary um, of some description. Um I don't know whether has he bought that because she has given that speech a bit before when she was uh, sizing him up um, for for the suit for the suit not for the bedroom still hasn't got a suit Um, actually and he you know I I I think I want to just see Mateo out of that situation because I don't think it's good for him it's it's obviously not good for him look at mama (laughs) jars i'd like to see mateo have other friends i I thought it would be really (laughs) interesting to see him go to tiago or is he now because of that speech going to be full-blown i'm the inca god or i'm the aztec god i should say um you know you're all gonna die for me Mm -hmm. uh you know and have this kind of fight out with with rico um I, i feel they need to just sort of reconnect back in with that certainly now that diego has been put up as the patsy Mm -hmm. um to take the fall for everything um i I think because i feel mateo still is going to be the big the big thing that happens here uh, (laughs) that's going to sort of explode everything yeah i think i think you're probably right um yeah i think uh, we may lose a member of the vega family uh permanently uh not like zombie bro uh (laughs) ralph Uh, still sitting at home listening to uh, to baseball. Um, I think we may lose uh, Matteo of, of everybody yeah. that's in the family. Um, yeah. So yeah. very quick question, because um, I know we're wrapping up, right? Just but very, very quick question. Mm-hmm. 
I've never watched to fruition. Yes, that's like right. I've I've never got through like to a, a season finale to the, the, the kind of the how it crescendos. The season three finale, yeah, yeah. Yeah, should I expect a? Will we get a supernatural type kind of all guns blazing showdown, or do you, so? We've two hours left. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm trying to piece in my head where they go, because I don't know if they will set up a season two, like a huge amount for season two. If mm-hmm. They may leave a couple of threads like, hey, we may explore this later. But I'm just wondering, like, are, are are all the players on the chessboard going to meet on a battlefield or a virtual battlefield in one go? I think the characters in Penny Dreadful season one, season two, and season three all knew by this stage of the season where they were aiming for where that what what their battlefield was going to be and i don't think any of the characters here right now knows that their battlefield is all the versions of magda so i don't i i don't see a big battle at the end of it at the end of this season but i will say every season of the previous three all ended with a massive battle with either supernatural creatures or other characters uh, at the end and the final episode of each of the three seasons. So it's entirely possible that the next episode will set up, you know, now that uh, Maria is on the trail of Magda, potentially next episode is the setting up episode where she's sharing with all the other people that are interacting with the Magdas um, and getting them all together as a group versus the Magdas in one big supernatural showdown at the end of the season. And then there's a, re- a reveal of what could be in season two, yeah. uh, but not a but a close down of season one and end to season one with a reveal of what season two could be. But I'm just not too sure if that's the way yeah. the season is going. I I, I I think just coming to your question, Chris, I I think that some will feature on some kind of battlefield mm-hmm. as such, um, uh, and will do battle, and I think some others are in place to. I think really to come to fruition in in another season, it, it it feels reminiscent of of season one in that I think we will get a conclusion to it, and I think it will be around Diego and that whole the whole Hazlitt case that right. it, you know in some respect there will, there will be some conclusion to that mm-hmm. to the season, but there will be an awful lot of other threads yes. that are in place, and even ones that maybe do come to an end. Like I'm, I, I'm half expecting that something will happen with Councillor Townsend uh, being outed effectively. Yeah, and um, that that or will. Or woman back. Remember or... the actual plan for the roadway, the motorway in LA. That motorway's there, so um, kind of gives me the indication that Councilwoman Beck, her opposition to Townsend, yeah. may not play out, survive, um, yeah. and she may not survive the series because. Well, how does it get there if she says over my dead body that motorway is getting built? Well, that's likely that's that may true. happen by the end of the season. Um, but I, I think that you know things will 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 play out um, for sure. I I think the whole focus is is, is must come to the the Vegas ultimately, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and I, I think um, we we'll, we will see. You know, Maria to me is the she is. The lady with the big battle. I mean, I, I was even just thinking about it with um, Matteo there. He actually is increasingly almost feeling like um, the uh, Josh Hartnett character, actually, of 
and Ethan Chandler of uh, the original uh, season one, Penny Dreadful, were he was there, but um, things played out around him. He was that observer. And I feel that maybe not in that same way, but that he's peripheral. He's been peripheral enough, even though he's had a, significant impact okay with with i don't know certainly yeah. the last half he's been more peripheral to me mateo and um, once once that murder once the murder happened, happened yeah. and he was chased down but and i'm just wondering but i will somehow he get imbued yeah because of the spirituality of maria and she could call on santa mercer will something happen where he can call on the aztec gods that rio keeps talking to him about Maybe. Um, or Magda. He, he calls on Magda. Oh, Magda. Yeah. Maybe. So, yeah, I I know what you mean, but I th- some of the things will will play out. I don't know if all the characters are aligned enough. Mm-hmm. Like, not only one or two for for a supernatural battle. Right. I think only Maria is available for. Like, if I was to, again, I'm not a writer, but if it was like the next episode needs to make people aware of the more supernatural craziness that is going on or the plan yeah. so that it's set up in the final episode it allows um it allows that battle to take place yeah. but with at least Tiago there like who is in theory our main one of our main characters he mm-hmm. needs to know it's uh, unless they are th- that works and i think that's what i would do but then the other question is that they go for the another option which is the battle happens just with Maria at the end, but everyone else just and it's resolved, and everyone else just thinks that the the story they they stopped the Nazis and everything's good. So everyone thinks that there's one story happening and they solve that thing, and actually this big supernatural battle's ha- happening underneath, and it's just Maria yeah. who battles it. That's entirely um, possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's just it's interesting, but two hours <laughs> less. It's definitely, um, I'm. I'm curious how they're going to get there. But as we often say on the show, a movie is on average about two hours and they accomplish quite a lot in that time. And uh, after this episode, I'm expecting a lot is going to be accomplished in those last two episodes. But I'm really interested to see how it rolls out into the final moment. Interesting that you mentioned Ethan, John, uh, because from uh, from the first Penny Dreadful, because uh, my note is slightly about Ethan Chandler and uh, and Vanessa from the original uh, Penny Dreadful. I just thought it was intriguing. Just It's more for... Penny Dreadful fans, people that watch the first three seasons, just that moment between Kurt and Townsend where they're having a dance uh, with Patty Lapone in the room uh, singing the song. Uh, and the conversation between Kurt and Townsend is Townsend is telling Kurt that he wants Kurt to kill someone. And Kurt says, you'll lose your soul if you do that. Um, he doesn't want him to do it. You won't be the man I love anymore. Um, this is, it feels like anyway, this feels like it's a very similar parallel to a discussion that was had between Ethan and Vanessa, the two main characters really of the original Penny Dreadful, when they were in the house of the cut wife, a character played by Patty Lapone. Uh, they had the conversation. Vanessa was saying that she wanted to kill someone who'd wronged her in the past. And Ethan was the hired gunslinger. He was a person who'd killed many, many men over his life. And he was saying to her, if you do this, you lose your soul from now on. You will see the darkness within yourself and you'll lose your soul. I just thought it was really interesting that nice. the very similar yeah. conversation is happening with that's great with Tenzend, who yeah. is, remember... A pretty despicable person himself. Yeah. He's yes. very much not like our Eva Green Vanessa, who was a person that we all loved 
she did have that twist in the character at that point when she did murder uh, the person after Ethan told her not to. Um, she'd had that twist in her soul, basically, from that point onwards. But I liked that the conversation was happening in the presence of Howie the Bone. So, I thought it was so bets that maybe Townsend takes it upon himself to kind of chuck a bit of water down on the floor. Mm-hmm. Slip, crack crack her head open maybe or a letter opener the next time he, she challenges him in the office uh, yeah is what i was wondering yeah i do think he's asked now twice to take out back and has been told twice no uh will his reputation be on the line in the next episode but the only way we can get to the next episode and find out what and if will happen i think is about time gentlemen we move on to our closing thoughts for this episode so john do you have any closing notes um, yeah, it's just quickly to build on the stuff I was searching about Krupp, um, the armaments company, mm-hmm. um, which the thing is kind of quite interesting is that basically, um, they, the company went to Nuremberg, um, after the main trial of the head Nazis. Um, but the companies that colluded with the Nazis would also taken to Nuremberg and effectively, um, disbanded and Krupp. They, uh, Alfred got 12 years, um, along with the co-defendants, which were basically the board mm-hmm. because they were found guilty of plunder, uh, because Hitler allowed them to take over any of the industries in the occupied nations for the German war effort. So they took over Skoda in Czechoslovakia. Um, right. And also because uh, fairly apparently they used slave labor mm-hmm. in factories that they set up to supply their main factory in Essen, both uh, prisoners of war and um, civilians from occupied countries um, such as uh, Slavic um ethnic group from the from the east but also jews so they actually krupp representatives was went to concentration camps to select uh laborers for for these so one of um, of the major centers was right beside Auschwitz. yeah so all in all um it was uh, a fairly cozy arrangement between krupp and and the nazis which the company paid uh, a price for. I mean, even to the extent that Hitler decreed what was known as the Lex Krupp, which authorized the transfer of all of his mother's shares to him, so that he had um, the the full entitlement to the Krupp uh, country and effectively uh, dispossessing all his brothers and sisters of any. Um, and that was all reversed. And I think the. Krupp was dismantled and then started back up again. So a bit like Volkswagen must have been done as well or mm. something like that. Um, so, yeah, kind of interesting little sort of rabbit hole you go down. Absolutely. When, um, and now what? They make um, lifts and escalators. Mm. Uh, so- and other mechanical, yeah, so crazy engineering levels. Yeah. Stuff. So they were banned from, from the company was banned from being able to produce, um, weapons after yeah. World War II. Yeah. And it just adds that extra insight into what decision that Peter has made, considering how powerful his family were in Germany to turn his back on them and, and leave the country basically after the first world war is the other thing we find out in this episode. That's pretty much as soon as 
the war was over, he left Germany and moved to America because of the horrors that he saw his family inflict uh, in there. So yeah, it's really, really interesting knowing their history. I will just quickly say, I thought it was made up and then I quickly Googled <laughs> and then went, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my. And I, as I was just going down the rabbit, as you said, John, the rabbit hole of mm-hmm. Wikipedia entries going, no way. And then getting to finally the history, seeing they're still around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the? Anywho. I know, but that's, that's the thing with this show. You know, I, I, I did see a conversation on one of the uh, Facebook groups the other day about, um, the two teams that are mentioned on the radio when Rel is listening to the radio, the two baseball teams that he's listening to. And the person was questioning because, uh, the team, one of the teams that he's listening to, the Padres, uh, weren't in major league baseball until the fifties. Well, of course, this being Penny Dreadful, he was listening to a completely different, um, league of baseball that did exist in the 30s and had the two teams existing in there. It was a, it was a much smaller league uh, that he was listening to the radio because that's the kind of detail they go into yeah. to make sure everything fits with the time period. Maybe a year or two out, but you know, not not much, but certainly not 20 or 30 years out. And uh, they're yeah. very accurate in, in the things they want to include in this show. So uh, great work in there. Uh, overall, gentlemen, what did you think of the episode? John, do you want to give us a quick idea of what you thought of the episode overall? Yeah, I, I really like this, um, four and a half washing bowl <laughs> dreams from hell, uh, out of five. Um, I, I really like this from the whole horror, uh, montage with Frank, uh, in the house with Maria, uh, and the two T's. Um, I thought it was really, really good. Uh, yeah, Tom and Trevor. Um, <laughs> Shout uh, out to the delightfully dreadful podcast on that one, John. Well, exactly. <laughs> the, um, the, I, I loved the moment between Tom and Maria burying uh, Friar Took. I just thought mm-hmm. that was really good. Um, I, I like the massive hug that uh, he he gives to Maria, oh, and I think that. just like thinking back of how Maria was treated by her own family last week when she cooked all those that lovely food and and then at least having that moment with Josefina I thought was really good and I I like the fact that Magda was really kind of um a a little bit up and down in this episode she Mm -hmm. didn't seem to have really worked her magic with Peter um she you know didn't manage to get Maria fired and then there was the surprising thing with Alex uh, and Lewis at the city hall um but uh, yeah I loved all of these different threads this week I thought it was mm-hmm. really good and it was great to get some more uh, to to get those uh, questions answered around the crafts yeah. or as we should say the crops exactly exactly Chris what's your overall thoughts on the episode um, I I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I this was something I'd been crying out for. Not crying out for. I, I I'm I'm being hyperbolic here. Uh, it, it was something I was so curious about for so long because I wanted to know what the backstory was, mm. and I feel they got it to me, and they gave it to me in such a way that I'm now sitting back and going, yeah, no, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. Your story made sense, and the length of time your story made sense to get to the characters of where they wanted to be or where you wanted them to be at this case. Yeah. Because I think, Derek, you said it right, if this had been another character, you could have done this in episode four. 
Yeah. And it would have been done. If they had have stopped this character, revealed it, and then he suddenly went to the dark side, I'd be like, no, 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 that does, that doesn't ring true. You built this too wrong. You built this the wrong way. So. And in fairness, just because I don't think I said it when we were discussing the episode, in fairness, it is really important that that is one of the characters. Peter Craft is really important that he says no, because right back to the first episode, Magda says she will whisper in the ears of men and men will do what they do because they're allowed to do it. She believes that in in all men is a dark heart. And Peter is saying, Peter's character effectively is saying, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. So it's really important that he doesn't do what she says because yeah. uh, it, it displaces her belief that all Absolutely. men are evil effectively. Yeah. So. No, exactly. And I think that's the, the core. They're, they're showing the vision for this show that I didn't see before. Mm. They're giving me like the points I couldn't connect. And they're starting to connect them, and that's the the sign of a good series. Yeah, that exactly. I'm like, I just like amazing. Give me the next episode. Mm-hmm. And I think the formatting of the release schedule, not dropping this all live, not throwing it somewhere, keep piecemealing it each week is perfect. Absolutely, Derek. What did you think of the end of this episode? Yeah, I'll just agree with you guys. Uh, this is probably my favorite episode of the season so far. Um, I think it, it just, I think just nailing the horror with, uh, with Frank, um, has now become one of my favorite characters on TV this year. <laughs> I think it's, uh, every time I see him, I'm just waiting for, waiting to see what he's going to do. And he's Magda and he's, there's all the other Magdas and you don't have any idea what they're going to do next and what their manipulations are going to lead to. But, uh, I think this episode answered loads of questions and gave us lots of really interesting stuff to go into the last two episodes of the season. So yeah, definitely one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get on to some feedback, gentlemen. Penny for your thoughts, dear listeners. Uh, if you want to send in any feedback to us on any of the episodes that we've covered or any of the shows that we've covered, you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or come over to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. And the one we hardly ever mention, come over to Twitter uh, to tvpodindustries over there. The reason I'm mentioning that is because most of our feedback has come from Twitter this week. Uh, our wonderful friend, Anna, which is madguida six on Twitter has finally caught up on Penny Dreadful. She recently watched all three seasons of the original Penny Dreadful. I knew she was going to love it. Um, we, we know Anna for a couple of years now uh, and she loves this type of thing but I think she was a bit concerned she wasn't going to like it. She fell in love with the first three seasons and is now completely caught up with Penny Dreadful. She only, I think she only started watching this season of Penny Dreadful about two weeks ago. So she wanted to share her thoughts about, uh, about this season of Penny yeah. Dreadful so far. John, do you want to give us your thoughts? Yeah. Anna's thoughts on uh, this season of City of Angels. She goes, this whole show that for me started tepidly has branched into a show with so many connections to the present world situation. I'm growing fonder of it, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it will lead. It went from an American noir movie meets Mexican novella to an actually deep and interesting show. That still is bold to embrace the genres I mentioned. Truly a step forward. This episode has absolutely boosted my love for Adriana Barraza and Lynn Shea. They have been working their characters up since episode one, and it's a pleasure to see them deliver their roles. P.S. Also, the progression of the Kraft family is intriguing. It's an absolute joy they have Roy Kinnear back to play a character that is clearly walking a reverse path to the one of the creature. It's twisted and I'm loving it. 
Uh, Pashi Lapone's return is the promise of a plot that will thicken, immensely satisfying. Last but not least, thank you, Derek, for being a brilliant podcaster and mentioning The Monkey's Poor Effect, <laughs> which is actually one of my favorite short stories of all time. You nerd. <laughs> Also, John has my deepest sympathy in his ferocious defense of the hamsters, guinea pigs, rats, and gerbils. By the way, it was a hamster. R.I.P. Friar Tuck. <laughs> Brilliant. Indeed, it was a hamster. Yes, it was. Completely agree. I, I was giving all the different rodents, um, mm-hmm. so just so that anyone could uh, sort of. It was kind of like one of the, the the tests where you just put the cross on whichever one you, you, you think, think is the right answer. <laughs> um, uh, but certainly, yeah, a hamster all the way uh, until, well, all the way into the ground, uh, I suppose. Well, yes, this for, week. For yeah. Friar Tuck. I did look at my notes, as you as you heard towards the end of the episode, I did look at my notes and, uh, and realised I had uh, I was wrong throughout the episode. So, uh, yes, you, you're right, Anna, uh, definitely. Yeah, as you say, Lynn Shea has been fantastic this season and Adriana Barraza is just wonderful i hope she gets an emmy nomination for her work on this season because um she has been essential throughout this show really really good to see her thanks so much for your thoughts anna yeah absolutely thanks so much anna uh really good to uh hear your thoughts on this uh, and i'm really glad you're enjoying um city of angels absolutely yes and i do love to nerd out as well so if i can if i can slip in an old sci-fi trope or an old fantasy trope in an episode i'm delighted so the monkey paw uh, it's always a good one um chris do you want to take the other piece of feedback from twitter Yes, we also had feedback from Will B over on Twitter, who actually got back to us last week after we aired our episode to point out a small mistake (laughs) I may have made when I said that uh, poor Fire Tuck was the first death that potentially Magda had done. Mm. Um, Yeah, no, we... I had blotted out, I think we had all blocked out, (laughs) the uh, the assumed uh, husband of Elsa who she killed yeah, with a knife and uh, had a good time on. <laughs> yeah. um, she murdered and buried. We we were concerned that she'd killed a guinea pig or a hamster and she'd murdered her. A, a fake husband, <laughs> yeah. an actual human who she brought home from a bar and murdered. And we're like, oh yeah, maybe that is the first time that Magda's killed someone. Oh, no, it's not. It's yeah, a, no. yeah. took the hamster was more adorable than uh, So Mr. that's Branson. exactly it. But we didn't see fake Mr. Branson being murdered, so maybe she convinced a neighbour to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Anything. I'm sorry, Will. You're absolutely right. Yeah, we should have. Uh, we should have gotten that. Um, I did send it around to the guys uh, as soon as you sent it to us on Twitter, and I, uh, all of us are going, "Oh, what are we? What are we thinking?" I suspect Frank just morphed out of her stomach and tattooed his hand into a spike, mm-hmm. and so it just went, yeah, straight in. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, maybe that was it. But that's still yes. Magda. So. <laughs> that's true. But thank you so much for that feedback, Will. Um, yeah, and um keep spotting these i please hopefully we don't have that many um for regarding feedback on this episode will said couple of notes dr craft won this episode hands down sticking to his moral compass nice finally fuck frank that is all <laughs> <laughs> i totally agree yep. you know if on all points <laughs> 
you know, the the actor who plays him, absolutely wonderful actor. But if I saw Frank coming into my house, I would run a mile after seeing what he's doing in this show. Oh, I'd probably just well, chop myself child into, coming into your house, I run a mile. Well, that's just, uh, yeah. <laughs> what are yeah. you doing here? <laughs> yeah, seriously, if any child comes into your house that you don't know, that's a bit weird. <laughs> that's very true. You kind of go, are you dead? No. Well, why are you in my house? Well, no, usually, Chris, just the etiquette usually is, can I help you find your parents? Not <laughs> yeah. scream at them and run away. Because <laughs> that makes well, children more, afraid. Ask, are they dead first? If they say yes, <laughs> oh, yeah. then you've got a problem. If they say no, second question can be, Okay, where are your parents? If they go, they're dead, then you scream it really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Wilby. Um, certainly, I, I love the whole Dr. Craft, you know, his moral compass with respect to his family, his family business, yet um, towards, I suppose, his soon-to-be ex-wife, Linda, he he doesn't really display uh, much in the way of, of a moral com- compass. I, I really like um, just that contrast of, of Dr. Kraft. You know, he, he certainly wins this ha- episode hands down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Will. And thanks so much, Anna, for your feedback over on Twitter. Come follow us on Twitter. We'll talk back to you and everything. It's awesome. Uh, our final piece of feedback comes in from Steve Brown once again. And this week's voicemail. Okay, that was scary. I mean, there was some tense moments in this one. Uh, hey guys, this is Steve. Uh, this is for Hide and Seek, episode eight. I just finished watching it, uh, for the first time. I may watch it again in the morning if I, if I have, uh, time, but I wanted to send this out as I just finished the episode because it was so good. And I think, um, gosh, if I could pick th- three things real quick, uh, um, you know, we're, we're seeing some more of, uh, Dr. Kraft. And I really like this, how they're, they're taking this character here because he basically told Elsa, right? He told her, no, I'm not going to be controlled by any woman, even you in the, the old maid's not controlling me. You're not controlling me. I'm controlling me. I really like that. I like where, where they're taking this character. I think that was a, a great turn with, uh, Alex. I didn't see that coming, uh, that she was going to appeal to Lewis as a Jewish, uh, person and that speaking in Yiddish, uh, and wow, the reveal that Tiago carries a backup on his ankle. That was just great. I, uh, uh, as soon as he pulled his pant leg up and I saw that holster, I was like, Tiago carries a backup. That's great. Uh, so I thought that was really, really cool. And, uh, just the, the whole episode was really good. There was a lot of good stuff in this really, uh, kind of moved the story forward. We're starting to see the connections all come together and, uh, I'm excited for the next two and, um, yeah, so, uh, just a, a really good, good episode. And, uh, the only thing that bothers me, I will give a, a little criticism. This is just to showtime. Anytime when you have the closed captioning on, sometimes the closed captioning covers over when they subtitle the characters like speaking in Spanish. And so like there'll be, there'll be the translation and uh, over the top of the translation is the closed captioning saying in Spanish, but you can't read what it's saying behind it. Just kind of bugs me. Anyway, uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Talk to you later. Matt, Steve, that is so annoying. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm right there with you, Steve. I, I've, that's happened on multiple shows. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's one of those. 
No, 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 we get it, but no, 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 we can't see you. Oh. It's like the subtitles shouldn't read the words in Spanish if you're translating <laughs> them, right? Just leave that out. <laughs> Thanks so much for your, for your voicemail, Steve. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's been a, a really good episode and some nice scary moments in there too. Yeah, thanks so much, Steve. Yeah, I thought the ankle holster was very so good with cool. uh, for Tiago. Yeah. Um, and, and whether Alex's um, appeal to Lewis is maybe as genuine as it first looks, I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, or whether the ulterior motive is, as you say, to actually now replace Townsend with someone else. He's yeah. maybe becoming even too much of a liability for, for Alex Malone. Yeah. I suppose, it, just in my head, all I keep thinking is not only is she not a Jewish woman whose parents died in uh, this attack on Vienna, she's not even human. She's Magda, so uh, the appeal can't be real, basically. So uh, so nothing about it can be, but uh, it's a good way to get into the pocket of the LAPD, I suppose, or uh, get them in her pocket, whichever way, whoever's got the pockets. <laughs> Thanks so much, Steve. Uh, big congratulations to Steve and uh, and his co-host, Mark Kirkman. Um, they are coming up on their 100th episode of their pop culture podcast over on um, Panels to Pixels. Excellent uh, so, stuff. Yeah, I think that's coming up in about two weeks' time. So congratulations to you guys over on Panels to Pixels. I keep sending in your voicemails, Steve. We love hearing them. Yes, thank you so much and congratulations. Now, uh, when you hit 400, come to us. When you hit 500, we're, we're getting that close. We're only a couple episodes away from that as well. Two episodes, like three episodes. I know. Yeah. We're so old. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Final business of the day. Let's get down to the pub and get a drink, boys and girls. Oh my God, yes, I can do with a cider. It is sweltering mm-hmm. in this podcast room. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, it's been a very long night uh, in the Kraft family home. And dare I say it, like um, Councilman Townsend, a quick early whiskey uh, in the morning might be required for uh, calming the nerves. Mm-hmm. So this week's pub quiz question on the Penny Dreadful pub quiz. Please remember to send your answers to the questions through to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com where we will actually uh, read them out on our review and roundup uh, episode of uh, the full Penny Dreadful City of Angels series. You can send them in uh, week in, week out uh, as you hear them or all at once. Uh, The uh, decision is yours on that one. Um, Just for episode eight, Hide and Seek. The question is, what does Maria cook up for Trevor and Tommy as a treat as they listen to the radio? That's a pretty good question. I like that. Yes. And as John mentioned, it'll be on our 501st episode of the podcast. You'll have a little bit of extra time uh, after we do the final episode of our Penny Dreadful podcast to send in all of your answers to the pub quiz. Uh, All the questions are available over on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com or if you listen to the episodes that are available around this time in each episode. We will soon need to also uh, announce what prizes we will be giving to the the winner of the pub quiz. So, yes. Uh, Shh, it's a secret. It's in the well. No, it's not. We it's, not. it's we just we exactly we haven't this time actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, it will be Penny Dreadful City of Angels yeah. memorabilia, but we haven't actually Have we forgot to mention this. Picked anything out yet? Yeah. Okay. So over on over on show dot com, uh, over on the official uh, Showtime website, they have opened their Penny Dreadful City of Angels store, and it has lots of uh, drink related items uh, branded with things like the Cribs and Club, uh, branded with Penny Dreadful City of Angels, all looking very cool. Some uh, 
uh, some very interesting stuff on there. We will definitely get some good prizes uh, this time. Um, sometimes these shops don't open until well after the show's finished and we have no idea what we're buying. But this time we've seen two or three really good items to uh, to pick up uh, for the Penny Dreadful prizes for the pub quiz. That's yes. So just a quick recap of the question. What does Maria cook up for Trevor and Tommy as a treat as they listen to the radio uh, with, yes, the Black Chapel mm-hmm. show? Yes, that, that does sound really cool. Uh, thanks so much for that, John. Thank you so much, everybody else, for joining us for this episode. It's been wonderful being with you, our fellow Penny faithful. Stay subscribed to the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com. And why not? If you enjoy what you hear, why not share it with your friends? Because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. Yes, but if you want to share more than love, don't forget you can head on over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries where you can throw us a dollar. Help us keep the lights on, the mics running and everything in between. Yes. And remember, you get access to our Captain America Winter Soldier podcast, which we just released last week. So uh, that's there waiting and available to you. Yes, and we'll we'll have some more. I believe we have Wonder Woman coming up in a couple of weeks. Wonder Woman. Well, Wonder Woman sadly got pushed back to October now. Uh, Wonder Woman two. Um, Not a Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to, uh, to going to record our thoughts on Wonder Woman, uh, the for the original movie uh, before Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four comes out uh, in October. Um, but it's probably going to be on our main feed uh, for everybody uh, by that stage. Yeah. Yes. But of course, if you'd like to just even support us with anything you can, uh, we always are appreciative. It helps keep the lights on and the mics are on. We'll be back next week with Penny Dreadful City of Angels, Episode 9, Sing, 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 mm-hmm. which comes out on June 21st. Yes. That's right. Yes. And uh, one final plug. Go check out Strange Indeed this week for my uh, my chat with Rima Joe about uh, Black Mirror, Season 2, Episode 1. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. If you haven't had enough of Derek's voice, well... Good luck to you. I have, so <laughs> goodbye for now. Bye, people. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully Sing 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 will mean that uh, Chris will come well prepared with a list of songs to to belt out and, and uh, destroy eardrums all across <laughs> the podcast world. Well, yeah, you actually thought you'd get an episode <laughs> without a German accent, but next episode you'll get German accent and singing. Oh. I'm <laughs> blaming you for that one, John. Say goodbye. Let's go. Yeah, rightio. Thank you so much, uh, Penny Faithful and Dreadfuls, uh, for listening in. It's, as always, it is a pleasure speaking with you. And just remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep praying at the Black Chapel. Nice. Bye. I always like when you end an episode with rightio, John. Bye. Radio. <laughs> I know. I don't know why. Cheerio. Uh, what a bye, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, bye.